0: Right, all right, so hi everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show and the show is for anyone that has a super strong passion on the intersections of emerging technologies, impact, web three AI, There's a lot of emerging technologies happening in this world and we're all trying to make the world a better place. We have people on the show that can drive these conversations forward, but this is about origin stories. This is about people working in the space or these tangential spaces and just understanding where people are from, what they're up to and what they're passionate about in the future. And along those lines, I'm really enthused and excited today to have David Zhu on the show. So David is an investor at breed VC. I'm not going to steal his thunder. He's going to tell us about what he's up to, but most importantly, David, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me, Anthony. Great to be here.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, I'm, I'm very glad to speak with you today and I guess teleport us back, take us back to where things started. You're doing some really interesting stuff today, but there's, there's some thesis some experiences, some growing up behind that. Tell us about your origin story and how things started.
1: Yeah, definitely. So um, I was an uh, economics major for undergrad and so got really interested in kind of um, economies, uh, governments, um, how kind of money works and how do how you sort of incentivize different types of policy. Uh, and that was really what got me down the crypto rabbit hole. Um, as I started to learn more about Bitcoin and crypto kind of in 2016, I was at Wellington, um, a large mutual fund. They got really into the space and I was leading research there and uh basically just fell down the rabbit hole like what you could do with this sort of like autonomous um smart contract way of directing money and creating these type of types of incentives i just thought it was really fascinating and you know the ability to kind of like control how money works down to the micro level you can really kind of do some really interesting things in terms of incentivizing certain kinds of behavior um really gives you a lot more control over you want to direct a specific economy more so than what you can do in today where you're it's more just a lot of top-down stuff where you're funding like entire industry um and then but in terms of like how it actually trickles down it's not really up to you and it's sort of um you know it's just it's just a little bit random and all over the place uh and yeah so through that that's how I originally got interested in into crypto um Did some work at Wellington on the research team and then was kind of doing a little bit of stuff on my own when DPR Summer took off, playing around with some protocols, doing some independent research for a couple of venture funds, and eventually found my way at Breed, where we're now uh, investing in early stage startups in the space.
0: I love it. I love it. Uh, David, as you speak, you know, an image in my mind, I remember when actual money and tokens, you know, tokens have been around for so, so long and remember that point in time in history where people were carrying around those metal bars and they were, it was just inconvenient. Short time and period, but people started realizing, like, okay, this isn't going to work. I can't carry around all these metal bars. And obviously there was other currency way before that. Then they started doing kind of coins from there and it made sense for transferability and the, reducing the friction there. A lot of our listeners are not necessarily crypto believers yet. Um, and a lot of VCs we talk to, traditional VCs, um, have all of their funds or they have with their LPs, they have to do, you know, fiat based investments and things like that. I guess break it down for like, a, you know, an 11 year old level that knows maybe a little bit about crypto. But why is crypto important? Why is why can't we just go with one currency or, or why isn't fiat you know, the best way anymore, obviously, so many different cryptos to every single different flavor. But what's the what's the use case for? Why is it so important? Um, Tell me a little bit about that as well, not to jump right into it. But you know, your background in economics and your fascination with crypto, I mean, I'm right there with you, you know, it's a changing world. And and, um, but but I guess break it down for an 11 year old, what what is it? Why is it important? Is it it ever going away? Or are we going into this decentralized, you know, currency model all, all over the world? Yeah. yeah,
1: that's a great question. Um, so, not sure if I'm able to break it down in, for an 11 year old, but <laughs> the way that I kind of think about it is like there's sort of two aspects of crypto. You sort of have money crypto, which is basically like crypto trying to replace fiat and and becoming like a base currency, and then you have tech crypto, which is more like you know unlocking innovation, kind of making things more efficient, getting rid of middlemen. And I do think that the two overlap at, in in some areas, but it's not kind of completely. And so. The way that I sort of view the two worlds um, is that you have, um, you know, kind of throughout history, you've always had this notion of fiat and these kind of base currencies like gold, which is why like gold still kind of retains its value, even though we've had it around for five thousand years. But you've have you've seen sort of different fiat systems come and go. You know, Roman Empire kind of they had their own kind of like fiat and currency that they issued. All the way up into um, you know, Spain was kind of like a dominant player in like the 1600s. Then mm-hmm. you had um, Britain who, uh, kind of ruled the world for uh, a few hundred years after that. And now you have the U S kind of in its dominance, um, basically becoming the world reserve currency for a couple hundred years. And I think the story around fiat and, um, and depreciation and, and money is always really fascinating, but the end, at the end of the day, I think what it can kind of come down to is that, um, there's always sort of like a per- perverse incentive to effectively, um, create uh create money because like if you can print money then you can kind of create different programs you can have like a a large um you can kind of fund certain things you can fund your military um there's all these kind of different programs uh that the u.s offers you know in terms of like research funding for universities welfare social security like you need kind of money to fund these things and so being able to print money um when you're a politician you know it's a little bit where like you're running on a platform, and if you're giving away free money, um, you're you're pretty popular as, as an individual. Versus like if you come and you want to, you know, basically be fiscal responsible, you know, raise taxes, cut spending. Uh, it's it's a little bit harder to get to to get elected. And so I think there's a little bit of that going on throughout history, where like over time, there's just sort of like this natural incentive to like depreciate the money because it's sort of like what the people want, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then you know you do that for um. You know, a couple hundred years, and at some point it gets to a point where like you either have too much debt, the interest rates are too high, your your value, your currency is like depreciated too much, and then people kind of stop believing, and then it becomes kind of like a a, a quick um, you know collapse, I, I would say. And so I think there's like some element of that happening in today's world if you look at kind of like fiscal deficits, they're pretty high. Um, with rising interest rates, it just means that the interest burden that a lot of these governments have to pay, is, is becoming much, much higher. So that's, I think that's kind of like the economic side for like, maybe you would want um, crypto or like a digital asset that has uh, programmable scarcity that you know, is programmable um, to eventually replaces because, uh, you know, there's a couple of tailwinds for, for why you could kind of create a, a case around that one. Um, it's programmably scarceable scarcity. Uh, So, you know, that, uh, you know, there's only be 21 million Bitcoin. um, It's actually more, more scarce uh, than gold. Right. Because like with gold, if the price goes up, people can always kind of like dig into the ground and find more gold. Um, And so like you can kind of increase the supply. And so that um, that definitely like it it means it's just not as scarce as you think it is, because, you know, maybe it's maybe at like two thousand dollars of gold um, per ounce, it's not really effective to like dig, you know, a ton to go look for gold, but if gold suddenly rises to like 20000 or $50,000 per ounce, you might have like more incentive to actually go in and, and get it. Um, right. Whereas like you can't just mint, you know, brand new Bitcoin. Um, there's a whole kind of consensus you have to do. And then on the tech side, uh, I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on there, which is effectively like, you know, hey, we figured out a way where we can basically build these smart contracts um, that kind of autonomously execute different types of logic and you can kind of piece them together. And so a lot of the stuff that um, middlemen do, which is basically like bringing two parties together, you know, doing price discovery, kind of like managing certain types of contracts, I think eventually like the tech will get good enough where we can kind of do those things in a smart contract kind of way. And then if you kind of replace these middlemen with autonomous layers, um, one, you get uh, kind of more trust in the system because you know that people already know the rules ahead of time. Um, but oftentimes I think in the real world, like you, you think that, you know, the rules, but then something happens, uh, black Swan event. And, um, you know, there's one party in the middle that kind of pick and choose who wins. So like a, a good example of this is like, um, I don't know, but like in, during COVID, um, you know, commodities kind of exploded. There's this whole like nickel trade where nickel skyrocketed a ton. Um, there were a couple of kind of like nickel wholesalers that were on the wrong side of the trade. And what ended up happening is that the um, LME, which is the stock exchange, basically froze the trades, reversed everything. And so uh, they kind of, you know, there was one outcome where, which had winners and losers and they effectively reversed that because, um, you know, because they, they can do so because they're the enemy that controls that. And so in a sort of fully autonomous world, where things are governed by smart contract, you have a little bit more fairness where like things are written in code. If things behave a certain way, um, you know, people win and people lose and and you have that sort of predictability. And I think as you build in more um, predictability, that's not just controlled by what, you know, certain individuals decide, it just allows for like a a more like fairer um, playing field for people, Um, people can have more trust. Um, And the other thing that's really exciting about crypto, I think is that, We've had a lot of like regional markets, um, but I think crypto is truly like a, a global market where you can have this kind of like um, decentralized, you know, logic that sits on top of existing regions. And so, uh, you know, maybe we could have like a situation where um, you kind of have like a global, like a truly sort of interconnected global economy um, where everybody can can, tra- can can transact on the same playing field. Um, and I think that that's super interesting.
0: I love it. I love it, David. No, thank you so much for that breakdown. I think I, I honestly haven't heard that articulate uh, contrast between traditional money and kind of crypto. I think ever. So I really appreciate the, the, how eloquent you you kind of frame that and. Kind of drawing a thread into kind of like your passions of what you've seen. Obviously, we've seen a lot of waves, right? The first initial kind of like Bitcoin skeptics back in like 2009, then Ethereum. And now you have these new L1s that are such massive supplies and billions of dollars, right? They're like almost like nation states, like (laughs) literally like these etheric nation state um, ecosystems that transverse, you know, what's going on. But tell tell me a little bit about, um, you know, obviously next bull run, could there be a rally by the end of the year? Obviously, the theses of the next bull run will probably be centered around, hey, look, tokens that are backed by stuff probably are going to outperform those that are not. Truth, trust is probably going to be a big theme. That's why obviously we're seeing a big wave of the zk rollups. You know, obviously a technical side to kind of be able to prove the truth of data without actually knowing the data. Lots of other theses. GameFi, DeFi, good starts. And you know, obviously, you know what we're doing. You know, it's really taking good Fi to, to, to provide utility and, and uh, you know, bridge uh, personal and planetary health. But tell me what you're passionate about. What are you guys looking at? What are you looking at as an investor? What really excites you these days? Any predictions you have for the future of crypto as well? Love to, I know there's kind of, you know, eight questions in one, but um, maybe if you want to peel off a couple of those.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. Um, yeah, so I can kind of start with, the thing, things that we're interested in. So we, um, you know, at Breed, we kind of look like at a couple of pillars that we look at. The main um, three pillars I would say is uh, kind of core infrastructure. So um, oftentimes when a lot like, you know, a lot of these systems are, are still like experimental, they're um, still really early stage. And so I think um, as as you kind of look into how uh, these existing um, tech stacks are emerging, uh, it's there's, there's still very much um, lot of stuff in flux and a lot of stuff that's that hasn't really been fully flushed out and so uh you know one thing that we spend a lot of time is really thinking about what's still missing in this tech stack to really create a truly decentralized and scalable version of um this crypto feature that we're looking at and so you know a good example um you know something that we didn't invest in but a good example of 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 this type of core infrastructure would be like a lido um lido DAO. i don't know i don't know if you know know about it but effectively like you know when ethereum was created they had this um you know they had this I, I don't know if you would call that a bug but just kind of like the way that they constructed the staking was um they wanted to make it more decentralized and so they made it so that you needed to have 32 eth in order to be a validator but also that like you could not delegate your eth to existing validators you have to kind of like spin up your own node um and then basically it, it, it creates a way where like um there is more decentralization because you're you're, you can't just delegate your ETH to other validators, um, right. you have to do it yourself. But the problem is like for most people, um, they're not really like tech savvy. They don't really want to go through the hassle of like spinning up their no- their own node and all of that. And so um, rather than rather than, you know, doing it themselves and kind of decentralizing, um, what LidoDAO did was they kind of created this way for them to be sort of like this intermediary where they're distributing your stake to professional validators. I think they're partnering with like 20 plus validators. They just, you you give Lido your ETH, they give you stake ETH in return. They kind of do the, the delegation. And um, what's interesting is that if you look at a lot of other proof of stake um, blockchains, they have this like delegated proof of stake kind of mechanism built within it, um, whereas Ethereum didn't. And so I think like just kind of finding something where like it makes sense for you to have like a delegated proof of stake system because like people want to be able to delegate state they don't want to do themselves but if you don't have one inherently built in your system then someone's going to kind of like come along and basically build that and there's a lot of opportunity for that kind of component to either make a lot of money maybe it'll be monopoly maybe it'll be like an oligopoly we hope we're, we're hoping that it's going to be more decentralized and ethereum is is coming up ways where like even if it's a centralized entity they can't really steal your funds because it's kind of there's other areas within the tech stack that makes it more decentralized and and kind of reduces your slashing risk. But it's kind of like stuff like that, that we're really interested in And basically, you know, um, someone built something, it's like really great, but they kind of missed this one component. And then you're kind of like building kind of this this natively inherent thing that that fixes um, or plugs a hole in the system. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the other two are a little bit more. non-infrastructure related. One is we're looking to let at consumers because we really think that the infrastructure is sort of ready. Um, there's a lot of scalability. There's We're seeing a lot of investments being made in that space, but what we are missing, I think, is really like the users and the applications that are going right. on onboard the millions and billions of users um, into the space. And so, um, what we're kind of focused on is like what types of applications can really onboard new users in this ecosystem. So areas that we're looking at is, um, you know, like gaming, we think that, um, you know, despite the kind of, um, I guess like negative, negative sentiment that, uh, that game developers have towards crypto, we do think that like, there's, um, you know, there's a lot of gamers in this world. They spend a lot of money on digital assets. Um, So they're kind of already used to this idea and then moving them to kind of like a a way for them to really truly own their assets uh, and be able to sell them and and actually attain the value that they have by spending the years playing these games makes a ton of sense to us. It's sort of just how do you we we think it's more of like a a branding or marketing issue where like there's this kind of negative connotation associated with crypto, with it being a scam, with it being, you know, ESG um not esg friendly uh but i think like a lot of that stuff is changing and and we just need kind of better branding or a better narrative on that side in order to get those folks in um and then the other thing that we're kind of spending a lot of time on um is trying to figure out like what are uh effectively like new use cases or things that you couldn't couldn't do before without crypto that you can now do um i think a lot of that stuff is does look more like a derivative of things that we already have, but right. maybe just more effective. And so we're spending a lot of time looking at zk privacy because you know we think that there's potentially like an opportunity for you to create like a totally private version of like with your data, you know, all all, your, all of all all of the information about yourself, and and just kind of like have that in a secure way on chain, and then you being able to kind of like port that identity and all that data into different platforms. Um, there's a lot right. of efficiency that does it, but you know, that there are obviously challenges with that too in terms of like securing your data, what happens if you get hacked and lose your keys, Um, you know, there's a lot of headaches associated with that. So I think someone's gonna solve it at some point or maybe there will be kind of like different ways, different like levels of security. So, you know, if you wanna unlock um, basic information that's kind of out there, you can just do like biometrics, but maybe mm-hmm. if you wanna unlock like your full full health record you like you need to sign up on that. Maybe you need to have like a private key sign off. And maybe you need like your health provider who holds like another key to like also sign up on that before releasing that information to, to a third party. Um, so you know, there's kind of like different ways you can mix and match to, to create um, different levels of security around that stuff.
0: I love it. I love it. David. Well, thank you so much. I, I really, really appreciate uh, well a few things, you know, hearing about your background. What you're passionate about i agree with you on your thesis is, and it's it's fascinating to kind of hear you describe those elements of, of the zk side the trust element and you know know if i'm hearing correctly two things you know infrastructure is late but investments in plugging holes in that infrastructure which is kind of raw is really important you know it's almost like the groundwork has been laid a lot but now we need street street posts and what's the technology we're using for signage what's the technology we're using for on ramps on ramps uh to those interstates that are kind of been laid Then the second piece, obviously, is uh, games are really important. There's a lot of consumption happening there. Um, Gamification is probably a a lead way, you know, also into... into more consumer applications, right? And the, and the next generation consumption uh, ushered in by Web3. But I guess uh, my very final question for you, Dave, David, and it was great having you on the show. would love to have you back and hear more about your investments at, at Breed and what you guys are, are looking to do or have done uh, once we have you back. If anyone would like to interface with you or Breed or um, online or reach out, what would be the best way in doing so?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, you can just reach me at uh, David at BreedVC.com, which is my email. Uh, Or you can reach me on Twitter at at Dave Shue. Uh, Yeah. Super, super. Well, David, this was refreshing. I was
0: glad. I feel like I know you a lot now. Um, uh, But it's really exciting to have your thought leadership in the space and and really just hear about the exciting things that are happening. It's a fascinating time in history on so many different fronts. But uh, uh, thank you for being on. Really appreciate it. And to our Listeners, uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, This is The Pop Hell Show. The show is for anyone that has a super strong passion on the intersections of emerging technology and making an impact in the world. David, thank you so much, this was great. Great, thanks, Anthony. Appreciate it, thank you so much.